So we're going to talk about some interesting stuff today on Indie Thinker. First of all, we're going to talk about the judge in the Dante Wright case and how that judge was basically accused of racism for simply showing sympathy to the officer involved in that shooting. We'll get into all that, but then we'll also look at Justin Trudeau and how he's continuing his state of emergency. The only problem is there never was an emergency. We'll talk about how totalitarians love crisis in all of our stories today. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Have you have you tried this out, the thing with Android phones? If you tell it, if you tell Google that you're straight and then you tell it you're gay, the difference? Hey Google, I'm straight. I'm sorry to hear that. I think you're awesome and you are not alone. I hope I can be an ally to you and there is help if you need it. Hey Google, I'm gay. Thank you for telling me. Being true to who you are is a beautiful thing. You should check that out, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it with Suri real quick. Hey Suri, I'm gay. Mm -hmm. Sounds good to me. Hey Suri, I'm straight. Sounds good to me. All right, well, we'll try this one. Hey Suri, you're gay. I don't have a sexual orientation. Ah, gender fluid, should have known. Well, nonetheless, we got some cool stuff to jump into the show today. But uh, before we do that, I want to make sure that you know that this show is sponsored by Element Funding and our friends over at the Kevin Blair team. You can go to kevinblairteam.com right now to get pre-qualified for a home before rates go even higher than they already are. Because I don't know if you went to the gas station lately, but guess what? Gas prices are going up again. Let's go, Brandon. But uh, the reason they are is because we're on the brink of some pretty big upheaval with Russia. And so gas prices are going to get higher and higher and higher. And one of the things that's going to continue to get higher, along with everything else in this administration, is interest rates. So make sure to go over there, check out our friends at the Kevin Blair team, and tell them Andy Thinker sent you. You can go get pre-qualified for a home right now, or you can go refinance your home before it's too late. So once again, go over to KenBlairTeam.com, let them know we sent you. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they suggested that um, shame has no place in the Christian church. Unfortunately, shame is actually a really awesome tool. And as much as I love shame uh, and shaming the dishonest left and progressive Christians for their inability to simply read a Bible, I have to say our country is actually a pretty great, great place to live in the midst of all the insanity. By any objective standard, racism exists, but the American West is so objectively not racist that new forms of racism are needing to be invented all the time. See Jesse Smollett. Now, the left is talking about bamboo ceilings for Asians, per capita the highest paid demographic in our society, and colorism, which by the way was created by black people as a way to discriminate against other black people. So free are we that people are literally risking their lives to get here. And now people like John McHorder are brave enough to finally stand up and say that black success is not dependent upon white people and systems of oppressions, but rather personal decisions is probably the biggest obstacle to black success. Here's him saying that. What I was saying there was that Barack Obama's election proved that racism isn't what it used to be. And I will openly yeah. own what I meant then, because I mean it now, is that racism, although it's a bad thing, although yeah. we must tamp it down, is not as conclusive an obstacle to black success as we often say. 
On the climate change front, we're seeing how we can adapt and change. Wind and solar energy now regularly outcompetes fossil fuels in most regions of the world. Electric vehicle growth has the potential to reach 90% of the market share by 2030. The 2020 election of U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's comprehensive annual report on nationwide greenhouse gas emissions released in 2000 said that greenhouse gas emissions have fallen by 10% and power sector emissions have fallen by 27%, even as our economy has grown by 25%. So now, you bunch of cynical sons of guns, you're probably waiting for the but. But there isn't one. Well, except maybe one. A Chapman University study asked people for their top 10 fears, and I bet you can't guess what was number one on the list. By a long shot, coming in at 73.6% of the people that were surveyed, they said their worst fear was corrupt government officials. Now, you can blame Trump for that, but that would be totally to ignore the fake Steele dossier and the Durham report, which already basically said that Russian collusion and that whole scandal was totally fabricated by those moral and well-rounded Clintons. <laughs> So is it any wonder that we are concerned with our overlords when we see how quickly their totalitarian tendencies lurk around every corner, especially when there's a crisis like COVID at hand? As much as they love masks, you'd think that they would wear them a little bit better, but right now they can't help but exploit crises around every corner because crisis creates a couple of things. The first thing it creates is the predicate for stupidity. If there's a crisis, then it has to be changed and people will suspend their logical, rational mind in order to go after this crisis. The left think when people hear the word crisis, they'll suspend all rationale and trust them completely. And unfortunately, they have a warrant for this belief, right? Because climate change is proof positive. While the left is pressuring Biden to declare a climate emergency, climate scientists are noting that constant and often poorly supported doomsdaying threaten the credibility of the movement. If everything is climate change, nothing is, in other words. If everything is racist, nothing is. If you actually care about racism and climate change, you'd be very careful to note progress as much as real instances of actual racism and real instances of climate change. So here's another problem. Constant crisis talk numbs you to actual threats. We are supposed to listen to pastors fight racial injustice, but they've never once spoken out against the abortion lobby in black communities. Some call this whataboutism, but the number one black killer in America is abortion. And the work is never done talk is merely an attempt to just increase market viability for those who are greedy. According to Forbes, DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Training, is not working in the workplace. So, of course, what's the suggestion? We need more diversity, equity, and inclusion. God forbid that we actually admit that we've made some real progress in the past 60 years, not to mention 100. No, everything has to be Jim Crow or the untamable Jim Eagle. Which, by the way, is a great name for a band, the untamable Jim Eagle. <laughs> And finally this, crisis is also that squeaky wheel that gets the grease. The most cynical of all the moves of those on the left is to declare a crisis just to draw attention to whatever issue you believe will win elections or secure power. Why else has BLM absolutely disappeared off the map? Well, it's no longer an election year. But hide and watch, you'll see Black Lives Matter crop up again around 2022 and election time in September maybe or maybe just around the 2024 presidential elections. So crisis is the, well, I'd like to call it a trump card, 
but rather it's the Leninist Marxist card, to be honest with you. Declare everything a crisis and you'll get your revolution. This is why we have to be careful of those who wish to use crisis for their own greedy, evil agenda. A uh, wise man once said that you can do a lot with bayonets, but you can't make people sit on them. So you can force people to do something, but if you're going to have a long-term solution for usurping authority and pushing people and controlling them, well then here's what you have to do. You have to convince them that your abuse is in their best interest. And right now we still have a group of people who basically have Stockholm Syndrome in the United States who want their abusers to keep on telling them what to do. But for those of us who want to think for ourselves, you'll see some headlines today and why we need to be a little bit more thoughtful when we see them. Let's jump into that. Our buddy Justin True Dork admits that there are no more blockages, but the emergency is not over. Here's a clip of him saying just that. But even though uh, the blockades are lifted uh, across border uh, openings right now, uh, even though uh, things seem to be resolving very well in Ottawa, this state of emergency is not over. Now you would think maybe he's talking about the emergency of a government stealing money from its people or taking over companies and telling those companies what to do and becoming basically emissaries of the state rather than private citizens. You might even think it's perhaps mounted police running over citizens for no apparent reason. But no, that's, that's not the emergency. Of course, the emergency is any threat that comes against Justin Trudeau and his power, but not to worry. We've got the chief of police in Ottawa, Officer Bell, stepping up to jump into this situation and defend the people that he has taken an oath to defend. So here's a little bit of that. If you are involved in this protest, we will actively look to identify you and follow up with financial sanctions and criminal charges. Absolutely. We, we, this investigation will go on for months to come. It has many, many different streams, both from a federal uh, financial level, from a provincial licensing level, from a criminal code level, from a municipal breach of court order, breach of court injunction level. It will be a complicated and time consuming um, investigation that will go on for a period of time. You have my commitment that that investigation will continue and we will hold people accountable for taking our streets over. Now, by the way, if you think to yourself that it's really not a good look for the police chief to just come out publicly and threaten citizens with long, long, long investigations that will go for a long, did he mention long time? It's okay because he makes up for it later in this clip where he's speaking about the trucker convoy and what he will do to those who continue uh, to, to protest. So here's a little bit of that. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Now in one way, Justin Trudeau is probably right. The emergency is not over because Justin Trudeau is still the Prime Minister of Canada 
And until that's rectified, there will probably always be a state of emergency in Canada. We all know what's really going on here. This state of emergency is not because there's any emergency. The only emergency is a threat to Justin Trudeau's power and a threat to his credibility. I wish he understood that what he's doing actually is a greater threat to his credibility than anything that these truckers are doing. But we all know the point here is this, is that totalitarians love crisis. So the state of emergency is merely an attempt for Justin Trudeau to secure power and to push away anybody who wishes to come against him. But I would encourage us all to refuse that kind of overture by doing the best we can to not only pray for and support these truckers in this protest, but also to send money their way, if at all possible, in a way that the government can't steal from them. All right, so let's move on to the next headline. So Wright family, comma, activists see injustice in Potter's sentence. Now, I just love that headline, first of all, before we go into the backstory here, for those of you who don't remember this, this case, but I love the backstory because uh, we're, we're supposed to believe that the activists really care about what took place here more so than actually getting their name in headlines. But nonetheless, if you guys remember, Kim Potter was the officer who allegedly tried to grab her taser, but grabbed her gun and ended up shooting Dante Wright when he was resisting arrest. So this is kind of not your typical run-of-the-mill cop uh, Black Lives Matter story because the cop admittedly from the very beginning said that the use of force was not justified. And so with that being the predicate, uh, many people believed that Kim Potter was probably going to do some time and indeed she is going to do some time because she was uh, convicted of, of this crime with Dante Wright. However, I, I want to take you back at least just to to go over the story because the original talking point was that Dante Wright was pulled over because of his air freshener. Of course, that's not the truth. You get that a little bit in this AP story. He was pulled over because he had a uh, suspended tag. Now, when he was eventually pulled over, they ran his license and all of that stuff, they found that he had a gun charge and uh, that he that he was had a warrant out for his arrest. And so they attempted to arrest Dante Wright. And of course, like a good citizen, he resisted arrest, tried to pull away, and that's when the, the gun came out instead of the taser. Now, now, far be it from me to suggest any motive here or any kind of justification for what took place here. I think what we just saw was that justice was served. But the talking point here has actually nothing to do with Kim, has nothing to do with Dante Wright. If we dig into the story, you'll see what this story really is about. Family members and activists applauded in December when a mostly white jury convicted Potter of both first and second degree manslaughter. This week, they felt as if justice was yanked away when Judge Regina Chu gave Potter two years. Well, below the presumptive sentence of just over seven years she had faced under state guidelines. So according to Levi Armstrong, he said the sentence essentially rolled back the jury's decision to find Potter accountable and that Chu's demeanor, Chu was the judge again, Chu's demeanor and comments during the sentencing stoked disgust and showed how black people are viewed in the justice system primarily as defendants rather than victims. The judge made Kimberly Potter look like the victim, she said. All right, so the real issue here at the end of the day is that the judge said some nice things to Kim Potter and then also gave her a more lenient sentence based upon what took place here. Now, I know that there's going to be some disagreement here, but here's what I would say. If what actually took place is what Kim Potter said, and it wasn't just a lie, but she accidentally grabbed her gun rather than her taser, which by the way, 
meets, at least for me, the and should for you, the, the barrier of rational and logical plausibility. Because the reality is, is when somebody is resisting arrest, you're in a high tense situation, you have to grab something very, very quickly. It's very understandable that you might grab the wrong thing. Now, I don't know if that's just a talking point, but here's the point. No one else does either. So the assumption of guilt given to, to Kim Potter here is really what's behind the fact that they didn't like the sentencing. Now, they would have liked it to, to be much higher. I can understand that if you're the family. The activists here want it to be much higher because they believe that they continually have to prove the narrative that the justice system, along with other systems in America, are systemically racist. When the much more plausible explanation here is just simply this, that Kim Potter made an unfortunate and tragic mistake. If we are willing to consent to that plausible reality, then it only makes sense that you would have sympathy for Kim Potter here in this instance. That you would have sympathy for this officer who did something that she deeply, deeply regrets. But unfortunately, that kind of forgiveness and that kind of morality goes by the wayside when we have a narrative to prove. And here is the point is that if that's true, then what actually is going on here is that the narrative matters more than lives, matters more than Dante Wright's life, and matters more than Kim Potter's life. Now, I want to remind you of something that happened not so long ago in a somewhat similar, somewhat dissimilar instance, but where a white female police officer shot a black man on accident. So, show you that clip. I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do and the best would be give your life to Christ I'm not gonna say anything else I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. All right, so I know what you're gonna say. The Christian is gonna come out here and you better believe it, friends, because isn't that the point at the end of the day? The ability to humanize situations and not just put narratives above human lives is something that is fundamentally Christian. And if not for Christianity, I'm not sure this young man would have had the strength to do what he did. But she believed that she made an honest mistake and he knew that she was gonna serve time as a result of that mistake and she was gonna she was gonna pay for her crime, just like Kim Potter is here in this, in this instance. But he gave her, even if not the benefit of the doubt, at least he gave her something. The milk of human kindness, if you wanna call it, but gave her the forgiveness that, what we, that we really need right now in any of these situations that we're facing. And so the point is, as long as we support 
narratives that are antithetical to humanity, don't be surprised when we keep on devouring one another and we abide by the policy of the left, which is mutually assured destruction. If we believe that Kim Potter made an honest mistake here, then perhaps you might find it in your heart to say, she's paying for her crime, she's going to jail, but I can understand the difficulty she must be going through knowing that she made this horrible, life-altering mistake that she will never be able to forget. All right, let's jump into our final headline. The real threat of COVID misinformation obviously isn't coming from Joe Rogan, it's coming from the CDC who isn't publishing large portions of their data. Namely here, the data that the CDC was not reporting to the public was that from ages 18 to 49, those adults did not benefit significantly from boosters. Here's what the article says. When the CDC published the first significant data two weeks ago on the effectiveness of boosters in adults younger than 65, it left out the numbers for a huge portion of that population. 18 to 49 year olds, the group the data showed was least likely to benefit from extra shots because the first two doses already left them well protected. The agency recently debuted a dashboard of wastewater data on the website that will be updated daily and might provide early signals of oncoming surge of COVID-19 cases. All right, so there's no need for Jeopardy music here, but just a quick question, and this is gonna be brief and straightforward. When we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're told that this crisis demands that we trust the science and that we rely upon our government officials. When they're taking big sections of data and refusing to publish it and refusing to tell you about it, what's the immediate response of, the, of those people? What, what's the first thing that we're gonna do? Well, we're gonna think you're lying to us. And in fact, we're not gonna only think you're lying to us about this issue, but we're gonna say to ourselves, what else could they potentially be lying about? So is it any wonder when the CDC comes knocking and they say, trust us, we're the scientists. We have your best interests in mind that we don't trust them. Rather, we think of them like the boyfriend that won't let you see the text messages. All right, let's jump into our final segment, Christianity Not Today. So if you by chance thought that leftism and progressivism was just a mind virus of our political class, I wanted to show you too, it's also infiltrating uh, the church. So uh, according to NPR, a West Virginia school is now being sued because they allowed a Christian assembly to take place. Now, I don't want to dig into this story too much. You can see all of our links and all of our sources down below in the description of this episode. Uh, but I'll just give you the kind of the summary here. So there was a, during school hours, there was a Christian assembly that took place in an auditorium or a gym or something like that. And, uh, and there were some kids that were thought to have signed up, that the teacher thought signed up for this thing. And then they sent them to this assembly. But this assembly was completely volunteer. You were not forced to go to it. It was simply something that you could volunteer to be a part of. And so these kids were uh, then essentially forced to go because the teacher told them to go and then they did so and these kids came back and then they staged a walk out the next day and now there's some people that are going to sue the school for doing this now the reason i bring this up in christianity not today because here's the real here's the real confounding thing for those of us who are who are christians you can't bring up a bible in class and teach from it right you can't flip open the pages of the bible you certainly can't pray with kids you can't have a teacher get up in front of their students and say, today I would like you to search your heart and to ask 
Jesus to come into your heart if you believe that he is real. No, you can't do that because you'll be sued by the NAACP, uh, the Anti-Defamation League, and who knows who else. Any number of leftist nutcases will come out of the woodwork to make sure that that teacher never sees the light of another classroom. But oddly, at the same time, the left is objecting to the fact that kindergartners through third grade, okay, kindergartners through third grade in Florida can no longer learn about transgenderism and about homosexuality. Like, it's mind-boggling. Now, admittedly, probably not too hard for me, but mind-boggling to suggest that it is radically intolerant and unacceptable for children to learn about this stuff in their elementary schools, K through three now. And it's not even, by the way, this bill doesn't even ban uh, teachers talking about this at later stages in the game, but it just says merely kindergarten through third grade. Teachers, can we please not have conversations about this? Can we not groom children at this young age to believe nonsensical versions of reality? So the obvious hypocrisy here is incredibly clear. A voluntary revival at a school and a forced class being taught to kindergartners and third graders. But this is what they're objecting to in Florida right now. Now, there was an amendment that was also proposed to this supposed don't say gay bill. And this amendment would force teachers, if they felt that there was some influences going on in the kid's life that were making them identify with uh, some different sexual preferences, whether that be transgender, gay, or anything like that. If that was happening to this child, they felt, they, they added an amendment to this bill because they felt like there should be open communication between the teachers and the parents. And of course, people on the left lost their stuff. Because what, what needs to happen is, you need to be able to send your kid to school, know nothing about what happens there, not know anything about the books that they're reading, and not have any say-so in their education. And if your child believes that they might be transgender, well, then they need to be sent immediately to a health counselor where they will then be sent to somebody who can give them hormone blockers, all that without the parent's knowledge. Now, that's the world the left would like to live in. It's a totally ridiculous and ludicrous world. It's a world where kids are not safe and certainly not the property of their parents. No, they're the property of the state. I wonder why we think Marxism is such a big deal. Nonetheless, they're the property of the state. So when this amendment was proposed, it got a lot of backlash from the left. Now, the amendment has been pulled from, uh, from that supposed don't say gay bill in Florida. And, uh, and now it's just simply that you're not allowed to talk about this with kindergarten through third grade. I guess what I'm trying to say is this, is that those parents are the stopgap for teachers that do not have the best interest of those kids at heart. The parents are the ones who should be making those decisions. And it is absolutely ridiculous, ludicrous, illogical to suggest that all teachers, no matter who they are, are the experts and that they should be the ones who are deciding what children should learn and that they will always do what is best for the children. We know better than that. There are teachers who get into teaching, not because they have the best interest of the kids in mind, but because they actually have another agenda in mind. Whether that be indirectly indoctrinating kids to radical agenda items, or whether it be because they actually have perverted tendencies and they wish to groom kids uh, to be more like them. I somewhat find myself feeling like I'm yelling at the clouds when I talk about stuff like this, because here's the real point.
when you take Bibles out of schools, when you take prayer out of schools, is it any wonder why we have this slippery, subjective slope for what is good and for what is honest and for what is true? When we take the one thing that continually points us back to biological, scientific realities, though not a scientific textbook, more of a history book than a scientific textbook, but when we have a book like that, and I know you don't know which book I'm talking about, but when we have a book like that, that, that constantly points us back to that, shouldn't we have some recognition of the fact that we're going to continue to wallow in crisis, and we're going to continue to let people use the subjective standard of crisis over us and to manipulate things until we return to a standard of truth that wove the fabric of our society together and a truth that as we continually step away from it, we see the edges being frayed. Maybe that's not the best English in the whole wide world, but suffice to say, hopefully you understand. The point is, is don't be surprised when there are those who are weak-willed and insecure, who anytime their power is threatened, they'll take advantage of the darkness to manipulate people. That's going to happen until we find our way to the light, until we find our way to an objective standard, to objective truth, until we're willing to admit that maybe at first glance we might have been wrong about this whole Christianity thing, and we might have been wrong about this whole religion thing and how important it is to our society. Until we're willing to admit that, we should be not very surprised when we find ourselves groping around in the dark and butting heads with each other. All right, thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.